Good morning. So glad that you're here with us today. We're going to continue to worship the Lord with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And just yesterday, uh, I got a letter from Ranjit, who's uh, Pastor Abraham's son. And he was just letting us know some of the new things they're doing. It's really cool. So they've been doing uh, sewing schools uh, for a lot of the women that have been kicked out of the home by their husbands because they decided to follow Jesus or uh, women that, you know, have come out of prostitution or whatever it might be. And now they're able to learn a skill and provide for themselves. And one of the things I've discovered is that as India is continuing to change, uh, well, there's a need for beauty salons is one of the things that is a huge growing market. So they opened up their first beautician school. And uh, they're training people how to be beauticians now and to be able to provide for themselves and their families that way. So who knows? Maybe we'll sponsor a, uh, a beauty school someday. Who knows? But it's amazing what God's doing through that ministry. And thank you for your generosity and allowing us to continue to support them. And I know so many of you are personally sponsoring uh, different orphans there and pastors. Thank you so much for that. And uh, Father, this morning as we give to you, we're so grateful that you first have been so generous with us. God, we think of Pastor Abraham and his family. God, we think of all of the, uh, the women in these schools. God, we just pray that you would pour out just lavish blessing over them, that they would know the worth and the value and that the beauty that they have in you, God, and they would know how great your affection is for them. Jesus, would you continue to make a way for them? Would you continue to be their provision? And Jesus, would you continue to change the nation of India through those who lay themselves down for the cause of Jesus Christ? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're new here, thank you so much for being our guest today. We're so honored that you were here with us. In the seat back in front of you, uh, there's some communication cards, and we'd love to have you fill one of those out, and you can turn it in at the information table on your way out. And what will happen is I'll just send you an email this week welcoming you to Radiant Church and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. You won't get any spam email, like text or like random calls. Hey, you coming to church tomorrow? Like There won't be anything like that going on. Uh, just a welcome email for you. If you have your Bibles with you today, would you go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. Uh, we're continuing. This is part 18 now. This is supposed to be a 20-week uh, series, and we're in Luke chapter 6. So we are way behind, but it's been fun regardless. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the role of prayer and what it is that we're doing in life. My wife and I, were one month away from our due date today, so we're super excited about that. Our little baby girl will be here soon. And so now my wife is in, like, clean the house now mode and organize everything and throw everything out. And last week she was saying, Jeremy, we got to put the crib up. We have some friends that gave us this beautiful crib, which is way better than the one we bought for Eason. So sorry, Eason, but <laughs> you got the junk crib. And so uh, she's like, we got to put it together. The baby could come at any minute. And I'm like, hey, you know, realistically, if the baby comes now, it's not coming home right now. And she's like, oh, did you say that? I'm like, okay, that was a terrible, stupid thing to say. <laughs> I'll get the crib put together. And so I, like, get all the, the parts for the crib, and I bring it upstairs. And we don't have any directions for it, which is terrible, because even when I have directions, I'm probably going to put it together wrong. But I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of smart. I'm going to tackle this project. I can do this. So there's all of the parts, all of the bolts that go to it. And I'm like, I can just ascertain by using intellect where it is that all of these different bolts go. And I'm looking for the, yeah, someone's like, thanks for believing in me. <laughs> and so I'm looking for the Allen wrench for it. And of course, there's one Allen wrench in my set that's missing. And it's the one I used to tore it down two years ago with Brielle and I didn't put back properly. So I'm using, uh, I get out the metric set, and I find the one that's like close enough to it. And I'm like, oh, okay, this will work if I'm real careful. So it's already off to a bad start, no directions, and I don't have the right tool. 
And I'm putting it together, and there's four bolts that are longer than all of the rest, and there's four holes on the biggest, like, thickest piece of wood, and I'm like, okay, clearly these four bolts go here. So I put those in, and then I'm going to attach the sides to it, and I discover all of the bolts are too short to do that. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to tear all of those bolts that I put in there out with the metric wrench that doesn't work right for this. And so I tear all those bolts out, replace it with some other ones, and I'm like, okay, I'm going along. And then I get to the next part, attaching the front, and I discover that those aren't the right bolts either. And in fact, those are the ones that I put in the back after already removing the back ones. And so, like, by the end of this thing, it should have taken me a half hour for a normal person. Like, three hours later, I'm ready to lose my salvation. <laughs> And I'm ready to just like burn the crib and let the baby sleep on the floor. It's like, this is impossible. How could anybody ever do this? But the reason that it was so difficult for me to do this was because I was trying to do something without any directions and without the proper equipment that I needed to do it. If I'd had directions and if I'd had the proper tools, it probably wouldn't have been that hard. But I was going at it with no direction. I was just trying to figure it out on my own. I was going to make a lot of mistakes, and it was going to take way longer than it should have. And we'll see if it holds the weight of the baby when the baby actually comes. I'm not entirely sure on that yet. But life can be like that. Have you ever felt like you're going through life, and you're just, okay, i got to redo this. This wasn't right. I can figure it out. i just got to work harder. i just got to do things better. i got to try to figure it out. I don't have the right tools. I'm not smart enough, good enough, whatever. I'm just going to keep pressing in. I'm going to do it. And you keep having to tear it apart, and eventually you get to the point of where you want to give up on what it is that you feel like God's called you to do because it just seems impossible for you. And the reason for that so many times is because we're going through life without direction that we receive from God and the proper equipping that we receive from God in the place of prayer. And Jesus encounters this. He sets the model for us of of what prayer does in our lives. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says, One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. What Jesus is doing here is he's setting the model for what the holy possible is in our life. Every time we see Jesus, it's not just, hey, this is what God does, or this is who God is, and he's so completely different from us. God is completely different from us. Nothing is impossible for him. We are severely limited and flawed, but what Jesus does is he models for us what any human can do when we live a life of constant submission to the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus did was, he's God in the flesh, he's the third person in the Trinity. The Trinity is, we believe that God is one being that is made up of three different persons. That's hard to grasp because we are one being made up of one person, Uh, so we're different than God, but he is one being, three persons, the Father, the Son, who's Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives up some of the divinity. He gives up some of the divine attributes that he has as God to humble himself, come down as a baby, to live a life fully God and fully human at the same time. And in doing this, he shows us what is possible for all of us as Christians when we're submitted to God and when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as this... Jesus shows us time and time again that prayer has to be the cornerstone of our life. It has to be something that is a continual part of what we do and who we are. Uh, Jesus didn't just pray, like, you know, before he ate his meal. He didn't just pray before he went to bed. Uh, I mean, most of us, I remember my grandparents growing up, it was this one prayer we always prayed before we ate dinner. It was, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, 
and something, and let these gifts to us be blessed. I think someone's nodding their head. That's it. And this is how we prayed it. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen. Pastor Roast Beef, like get it going now. I need some potatoes, people. There was no sincerity in it. It was, it was basically, it was like an incantation that we were saying. And we thought, if we recite this incantation, then, you know, God's going to bless us. He's going to let us live. He's not going to be mad at us, whatever. And actually, the average Christian prays less than two minutes a day. And only 55% of Christians say that they rely on prayer. This is the craziest thing. If you're a Christian and, and you say that you only rely on prayer, or if only 55% of us say we rely on prayer, like what are we relying on? Us? I know me. Maybe you're not as familiar with yourself as I am with myself, but we can't rely on us. I have proven time and time again how flawed and unable I am. I need something more than me. I need Jesus and I need to pray. And Jesus, he's demonstrating what a rich and developed prayer life looks like because he goes, it's not just two minutes a day, it's not reciting some little incantation before he eats. It says that he goes and he prays all night long. That's a long time to pray. All night long. Like, I'm not at that point yet. I love sleep still. There's been times where I've done the all-night prayer. There's been, time, there's been more times where I tried to do an all-night prayer and woke up in the morning and realized that I had failed at my attempt. But Jesus is a part of the way that he's living. Think of this. This is God, and he's getting away by himself, and he's spending an entire night praying. If God is praying, that means that we need to pray. And when we look at it, we say, how on earth could anyone pray all night long? Like, that is way more. How can you pray just that long? I don't even know what I would say. Do you start reading the dictionary at some point? Just like trying to say something. And the reason why Jesus is able to pray for such a long time is because it's not the incantation. It's not reciting things trying to get divine blessing from God. For Jesus, it's conversation with his Father. You can talk to someone for a really long time. If I was just trying to talk to my wife, like, we don't talk as much now as we did when we were dating and we had cell phones and stuff because... It's like, oh, you're so perfect. You hang up. No, you hang up. You remember those phases of, of your relationship? And you have, if you've been married for more than a year, you probably don't do that anymore. You hang up. No, okay, I'm going to bed. I am going to hang up. <laughs> you know, I'd love to talk, but I'm really tired, so I'll see you in the morning, all right? But there was that time when you just could spend all day, all night, just talking to someone, enjoying being in their presence. And that's what Jesus is doing as he's praying. He's able to pray all night long because for him it's conversation with his Father. It's him expressing his heart, what it is that he's going through, sharing what's on his mind to his Father. And then it's him hearing his Father speak back to him, speak into his life, speak into his situation, speak into his identity, speak into what it is that he's been called to do. It's time in prayer where you're just enjoying the presence of the Father. And so if we're looking at the model that Jesus is setting for us, why do we pray? Number one, it's for relationship with God. First and foremost, prayer is a conversation. And the primary reason why we pray, why we're having conversation with our Heavenly Father is because we want relationship with Him. If you're praying and it's not to develop relationship with God, or if you're praying and you don't believe it's conversational and that you have the ability to, to hear God speak to you, why are you praying? I hear people and sometimes they'll say, I think you're crazy because you think God talks to you. And I'm like, there are some people who, th- who are crazy and think God talks to them. 
But I believe that every single one of us has the ability to hear God speak to us. Jesus said, I am the shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice, and they recognize me. And what he's saying is that every single one of us has the ability. We were created to hear God speak to us. If you pray and you think that you can't hear from God, there is no bigger waste of time that you could ever indulge in. Why on earth would you pray if you don't believe that God has the ability to speak back to you? When I'm, when I'm talking to my wife, it's to build relationship with her. That's the primary way that we built our relationship when we were uh, young and dating. It's the primary way we continue to develop our relationship now. I'm closest to her when there's constant, unhindered communication with her. When I'm away or when we're just uh, being stupid, quite honestly, and we're, we're not having good conversations with each other, it causes distance in that relationship, and it causes a breakdown of intimacy. We talk to each other to build relationship, and we talk to God because we want to build relationship with him. We want to know him. And then the second reason why we pray is for revelation from God. And that's the idea of this is what God's called you to do. Jesus says this. He says, I was sent to seek and to save the lost. He knows that that is his mission in life. He knows that is why he is on this earth. How does he know that? It's because he prayed. It's because he talked to his father. And his father spoke to him what it was that he was here for. God spoke to Jesus, his son, who is fully God, but has limited himself. Again, remember that's so important, that Jesus limited himself. He wasn't born uh, just as the little baby Jesus that came out of the womb and said, bless you, Mary, for you have given birth to me. Congratulations. Like, that's creepy. <laughs> he wasn't born walking on water. He wasn't born changing his own diapers. Like, Jesus, when he was born, he was so human, as human as any of the rest of us are, that the only things that he did was he cried and he ate, and he made messes. That was what Jesus did. God humbled himself to this point. And it says that he had to grow in wisdom and in favor and stature with God and with man. Jesus went through what we went through. We weren't born knowing who we were. We weren't born knowing why we were put on this earth. We weren't born knowing our Heavenly Father. And Jesus humbled himself to the point of where he experienced everything that we experience including having to grow in his relationship with his father, the one he had always existed with for all of eternity, including having to grow in knowing who he was and why he was there. And that's what we have to do too. If you're just trying to figure out life on your own, why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? And you can try real hard and you can try a lot of things and you can end up really far from what it was that God ever called you to do. Uh, this whole pastoring thing, this was not my idea. I have shared many times, and I will continue to share, that my plan and what I was supposed to do in my life was be a rock star. This is about as far from being a rock star as you can possibly get. This wasn't what I wanted to do with my life, but it's what God created me to do. And how did I hear that this was what I was supposed to do? It was in the place of prayer. God spoke to me. He revealed something to me. And when you look at uh, planning a church, I wasn't certainly going to plan a church. When I became, decided, okay, Jesus, I'll be a pastor, I thought, you know, someday I'll, I'll take over a well-established church with, you know, things like an office and a budget and stuff like that. I had no idea that I would ever plant a church because I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't know most of the time what I'm doing, but I'm figuring out a little bit at a time. have lots of confidence. 
And Ann Arbor, this is not the place I ever would have picked to come plant a church. When I find, I was like, okay, God, I'll plant a church. I'll, I'll do that. You know, it's what you've called me to do. I believe that. You know where I was thinking? Like, Hawaii needs another church. Really, really bad. Planning a church, the good thing about it was it was my ticket out of the state of Michigan. I was going to go live in the mountains somewhere. I was going to live somewhere that was warm and sunny. But what happened was in the place of prayer, God spoke to me about Ann Arbor, Michigan. And in the place of prayer, as I was having conversation with my father, he gave me direction. He gave me revelation of who I was, that I was called to be a son of God, that I was called to be a pastor, that I was called to be a church planner, and that I was called to do it in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And none of that was my plan. None of that was me working something out. That was all hearing from God what it was that he had called me to do, what he had made me to do. And even though none of this was my plan, there is nothing I would rather be doing with my life. God got me exactly where I needed to be. And it wasn't because of my smarts. It wasn't because of my hard work. It was because God created me to do something. And when I pressed into him in the place of prayer, conversationally, he spoke to me and he revealed himself to me. The third thing while we pray is for direction from God. And this is the, the specifics of what it is that you need to do. There are a lot of best practices that we can gain from what other people have done that have come before us. Like for me as a, a church planner, I'm a part of the Association of Related Churches. They've planted over 600 churches now in the last 16 years, I believe, with a 96% success rate, which is absolutely unheard of. Uh, most churches, I think it's only one in five churches on average make it to the age of five years old. We're going to be five years old uh, in September, and we are better than we've ever been, and we're going stronger than we've ever gone. So when I found out there was an organization, that's worth thanking God for that. When I found out there was a group of people that had a 96% success rate, I was like, I'm going to go talk to those people. And I went to their conferences, and I went through their training because I wanted the best practices. I wanted knowledge that other people had gained for how you can do this and do it well. But there's also a part of it where there are things that God is going to speak to you that no one else can. When Jesus is going up there to the place of prayer, what I think happened was he just knew that he needed to pray because it was a part of his life. He goes up there, and as he's praying by himself, he gets some direction from God. He's been going around, he's been teaching, he's been healing. He knows that he's here to save. He knows that he's here to seek out those who are lost and are far from him. And as he's doing that, he's going around healing, preaching the kingdom of God, just exhibiting the love and grace and mercy of God to all of those who are around him, gathering tons and tons of followers. He has all of these disciples who are following after him. He goes up there to pray. And God the Father speaks to him and tells him that he needs to appoint 12 apostles. An apostle is someone who's an authorized representative. And so God the Father tells Jesus, what you need to do now, this is a part of the divine direction and strategy that I'm giving you to do what it is that I've called you to do, is you now need to get 12 authorized representatives of you. Because God knows that what he's doing is he's setting up the church. He needs, we need 12 apostles. We're going to go out and preach and proclaim it. We're going to continue on, build the foundation that all of the church is going to be built on and continue to advance the kingdom after Jesus ascends back up into heaven. I don't think that's something that Jesus just came up with on his own. It was divine direction that came from God out of the place of prayer. 
So he comes back from the mountain, and he comes to all of the thousands of people that are following him. There are hundreds of people who are disciples of his that he said, come and follow me, and they followed after him, and they're trying to live their life like him to the best of their ability, learning from him, sitting underneath him. But then he says that there's these 12 people that I'm going to appoint as a part of the divine direction and strategy that God has given me for what I need to do as this next step. It wasn't something that was a part of the best practices of his culture. There were lots of people that were out there teaching, lots of rabbis that had disciples. But to go and to pick 12 people who were going to be authorized representatives, that wasn't something that was the norm. That was something that God the Father spoke to Jesus as he created the room to hear God speak to him in the place of prayer. And then, fourthly, is we pray for wisdom from God. So when Jesus goes up there and he's praying and God says, you need 12 apostles, it's not just, okay, you need 12, just go pick any 12 random people. God gives him some divine wisdom and who the 12 people are that he needs to pick. And this is what it says. It says in verses 14 through 16, here are the names. Simon, who was, he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, uh, he was also called Nathan, some of your Bibles might say that, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, love that name, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. I tell you what, it would be really awkward to be the other Judas that was an apostle. Like, Judas? No, I'm not that Judas. I'm the other Judas. I'm the good Judas, not the betrayer Judas. Don't get that one mixed up. What we don't get when we hear this list of names is a full effect of what all of the other followers of Jesus must have been thinking. When Jesus comes down, he says, I'm authorizing 12 representatives. They're going to represent me in all things. They're going to go out, and they're going to represent me in the kingdom of God and the message that I preach. When Jesus starts reading off these names or listing them for them, the people who are, reading, are hearing this are probably thinking, ah, I get he's doing the cuts first. Like, these are the 12 people that are the extra baggage. They're the dead weight that we've got to get rid of. I get you, Jesus. I agree, these people are losers. And then Jesus is like, no, these are the ones who are the apostles. I bet there were some people who, when, he, when they saw who Jesus appointed to be the apostles, were like, I'm out. Like, there is no way. Like, I thought that you were something special, Jesus, but you have terrible judgment. I mean, just the worst judgment because most of these people are fishermen. They're uneducated. They're dirty. They're despised. They have a thick accent. They're from the wrong place. They're from the sticks. They have no connections. They're uncultured, uncouth. These are not the people who should have been the ones who were authorized to represent Jesus. Remember we were talking about Levi a couple weeks ago. He was the backslidden tax collector who was extorting his own people, working for the enemy. He's one of the ones. That's Matthew. He's one of the ones that gets chosen to be the authorized representative of the Messiah. You have the guy that's the zealot, the one who's trying to kill Matthew when he had been working at his tax booth. They're the ones that think there has to be guerrilla warfare against the Roman Empire to try to drive them out. Uh, this is the kind of person that they really think that what we need to do is to terrorize the Roman government and kill them, enough of them to make them want to retreat and run away. That's not the person that you would think of as, I'm going to pick them. John, the one who later on shows that there's this special connection between Jesus and John, most people think that he was just a kid. Like he could have been like 12 years old. Jesus, you're going to pick, like his voice is cracking, Jesus. Who's going to listen to what this guy says? But Jesus picks 12 people that none of us would have picked. He picks 12 people that he probably wouldn't have picked 
if he hadn't received divine wisdom from his father in the place of prayer. To do what God's called you to do, you're going to need divine wisdom. You don't just need divine revelation. You don't just need divine direction of the the specifics of what you're supposed to do. But there are decisions that you're going to have to make and that other people aren't going to agree with, other people are going to think are stupid. There are things that God's going to tell you to do and you're going to think, Jesus, this is stupid. Like, there is no way that I'm picking these people to do this ministry with me. There is no way. Like, this is really divine wisdom. Like, God, this is insanity. This is what it says in the scripture is that the wisdom of God oftentimes looks like foolishness to us. But when we put ourselves in a position to hear from God in prayer, one of the things that we receive from him is divine wisdom in the decisions that we have to make. And then number five, why we pray is to become who God called us to be. When you look at yourself, you probably don't see what it is that God sees. And when others look at you, they certainly don't see what it is that God sees in you. One of the reasons that we have to pray is because we need God's divine intervention in our lives so that we can be who it is that God's called us to be. Because who he's called us to be is so far from where we started in life. Who he's called you to be is so far from even where you are right now. Of those 12 apostles that were called, you know who I can relate to the most? Judas. And not the good one. You know what the difference was between Judas and the other 11 apostles? None of them deserved the position that they had. They were all messed up. They were all broken, flawed people. We read, oh, Judas was greedy. He was stealing from the money back. So was Matthew. Matthew was greedy. He was a tax collector extorting his own people. But somehow Matthew didn't betray Jesus. Somehow Matthew was able to live out what it was that God had called him to do. When we look at all of the other apostles, we see that they are broken and they are flawed individuals who desperately need God to do something miraculous inside of their life. The difference between Judas and the other 11 is that the other 11 let Jesus do something inside of their life and change them and transform them. They weren't better than Judas. They weren't more deserving or more worthy than Judas. They just let Jesus do something miraculous inside of them to transform them and change them so that they could be everything that God called them to be. It says that they became those who turned the world upside down. And Judas took his own life after he betrayed Jesus. The only difference between them is that 11 of them let Jesus do a transforming work inside of their hearts. And Judas refused to let Jesus do that. We all start at the same place. God's calling us all somewhere. The limit is us. The limit is what we let God do inside of our hearts. And so when I pray, one of the things I'm praying is, God, don't let me stay the same. God, don't let me and my unwillingness 
to change, to be transformed by you, to take scary steps of faith. Don't, don't let those things keep me from becoming everything that you call me to be. Because what I believe about every single one of us is that we've all been called to be those who turn the world upside down. That is the call on every single one of our lives. He's given you specifics, and he'll give you revelation and direction and wisdom for how he specifically has called you to do that in the arena and the platform that he's called you to. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ is that we don't all need to do the same thing. God made us all with a diversity of gifts, a diversity of personalities, a diversity of locations and, and influences that we have in our life. And that's a part of his divine plan for us. Embrace who it is that God's called you to be. Don't look at other people and want to be like them because when you're trying to be someone else, you're keeping God from changing your own heart and you end up staying the Judas because you're not allowing God to take you to the new place that he called you to be. Do you see yourself like God sees you? Do you see the you that you could be? Do you see where it is that God's taken you? Do you see what it is that he's called you to do? Because all of that's found in the place of prayer. And I'm not going to let anything keep me from becoming who God's called me to be. Because it's the only place that I'm going to find contentment. It's the only place that I'm going to find purpose and fulfillment. And it's the only place that those around me are going to be blessed. I have to be living out the life God's called me to be. I have to be changed and transformed by him so that those who are around me can be blessed. If we don't pray, you'll never get any of this. And this isn't an exhaustive list of everything that prayer does. This is just what we learn from this story. But what's God speaking to you in this? Do you know God relationally? Do you pray because you want to encounter God because you have conversations with him where you speak to him and, and he speaks back to you and you experience his presence? Because if you're not, you're missing out on the greatest thing that you can experience in this life. It's just knowing Jesus. This is how my prayer time starts every day. I just throw on my worship set. It's like what we do here on Sunday mornings. I'll spend a half hour just worshiping God, reflecting on the lyrics to the songs, declaring those myself, telling God how much I love him. I'm building a relationship with him. I'm encountering him and his goodness. And then I speak to him about the things that are on my heart. He already knows, but he tells us that he wants us to, to communicate that to him. And then I take a moment and I listen to him. God, what do you want to say to me? Sometimes it changes my life. Sometimes I feel like I don't hear anything. But I'm always going to put myself in that position of where God can speak to me. And most of the time, he does. And he gives me direction. He gives me revelation. He gives me wisdom. And then after that, that's when I do the petitioning. That's when I start calling on God. Okay, God, you've called me to do this. You told me to do this. God, this is what I need. And I just continue going on that, and then I end it with some more worship because that's my favorite part of prayer. I love just knowing God and encountering him relationally. Have you had revelation of who you are as a son, as a daughter? Have you had revelation of what it is that God puts you on this earth for? See, if you haven't, you're going to find it in the place of prayer. 
Do you know the direction, the things God specifically is calling you to do? So I believe every day we wake up and we have to come back and say, God, what do I need to do today? God, what do I need to do in this situation? You're going to find that in the place of prayer. Do you need wisdom for any decision that you're having to make? God gives that so freely and he pours it out on us. And we need wisdom for what it is that God's called us to do. And do you need to be everything that God's called you to be? So again, you're going to find that in the place of prayer. When you're like David and you come and you say, God, search my heart. If there's anything, wicked thing in me, would you remove that? If there's any unrighteousness in me, you take the way. It's like Isaiah saying, God, I'm an unclean person with unclean lips. And letting God come and purify you, change you, make you like him. That's only going to happen in the place of prayer. And that's why prayer is so important to us. You want to know why the church in America is so weak? It's because we spend less than two minutes a day praying. You can't do what God's called you to. You can't even know what it is that he's called you to do praying just two minutes a day. You can't even know that God loves you. You can know up here that God loves you, but you'll never know in your heart that God loves you. If you're just like, hey, Jesus, thanks for the food. Keep me safe. I'm driving down 94 today. Amen. That's not relational. That's not knowing God. That's not encountering and experiencing his love. The life God's called us to requires that we dig deep, that we press in, and that we press on. And we go through seasons where prayer is awesome. We go through seasons where prayer is dry. But it doesn't matter because we're committed to it because we're committed to the one who's called us. And we're going to keep going after him. We're going to keep encountering him relationally. We're going to keep building our love for him and encountering how great his love is for us. We're going to keep receiving revelation of who we are. We're going to keep receiving direction from God for the things that he's called us to do. We're going to keep receiving wisdom for God. And as we do this, we're transformed and we're changed. And as we do this, the more we're transformed, and changed, the more Radiant Church has transformed and changed, the more Ann Arbor, Michigan is transformed and changed, the more our families, our workplaces, our friends, our co-workers, all of that, it all comes back to are we going to be like Jesus and say that prayer is the cornerstone, it's the bedrock of our faith, it's the foundation that we build our life on, is that if there's one thing I do in my years on this earth, it's going to be that I know God, and I know who he called me to be. And I'm operating with his divine wisdom and direction in my life as he transforms and changes me to make me into his image. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's just take a moment to pray and let's start with that. We're talking about prayer. Let's pray. God, would you speak to us? God, we don't want this to just be a story that we read about. We want this to be a conviction that transforms our lives. Jesus, we want to be like you. Jesus, I pray that over our lives, God, that there would be new conviction inside of us. There would be new priority of prayer inside of us. God, that we would believe that we are fully reliant upon you. God, that we are fully reliant upon prayer. And Jesus, that there would be, uh, as we come and as we, we make the sacrifice to carve out the time and to push into you, Jesus, we believe that there's a reward for that, that when we seek you, that we're going to find you. God, as we draw near to you, you said that you're going to draw 
draw near to us. God, I pray that you would give us perseverance in our hearts, that in the dry seasons of prayer, when we feel like you're far from us and there's no result and no fruit in it, God, that we would still have a conviction that drives us, that the love that we have for you would continue to drive us to seek after you day after day after day, God, that we would be those who live a life of consistent and persistent prayer, that we would be those who prevail in the place of prayer. Jesus, we want to be those who encounter you richly and deeply, that it wouldn't just be words that we're speaking, that it would be a conversation that we have with you, the living God, the King of all kings. God, that as we do this, that we would have greater revelation of your love for us, greater revelation of, of the relationship, the sonship, the daughtership that we have with you. Jesus, we pray that we would find uh, joy and peace and contentment in the place of prayer. Jesus, we pray that as we come before you and we petition you, Jesus, that we would see you stretch out your hand and miraculously answer the prayers that we've been praying. God, we see in Revelation, it says that the prayers of the saints are gathered up uh, in a, a censer before the throne. And it says that you add your power to it and send it back down to the earth like fire. God, will we see that in response to the prayers of your people? You said that the prayers of your people are powerful and effective. Jesus, we pray for your kingdom to come. We pray for your will to be done. God, we pray for transformation inside of our own hearts. God, transformation inside of our marriages. Jesus, we pray that you would kick out all fear and doubt and anxiety and depression. Jesus, that instead that you would come and you'd fill us with your love and your perfect peace. Jesus, we pray that we would see children who are far from you, that they would come back home, God, for our sons and daughters that aren't following you. Jesus, we pray for spouses that are far from you, that you would move on their hearts and that you would reveal yourself to them in response to the prayers of your people. God, we pray for all of those in our city who are broken, God, who are lost, who are struggling with addiction, who are struggling with identity, who are struggling with self-worth and other issues, Jesus, that you would come and you would reveal yourself to them, Jesus. God, we pray that there would be revival Revival inside of our hearts, God. Revival inside of Radiant Church. And that these walls can't contain and that would break out and that it would spread to all of the places in this county, Jesus. God, we want to see people receive life and freedom and hope and healing and the acceptance that you alone have. But God, we know that that starts with us. It always starts with your people, that we would come before you to seek you. And it begins with us allowing you to do that transforming work inside of our heart. Burden our hearts, Jesus. And may we encounter you more richly and more fully than we ever have. Because God, we're taking you at your word. We're going to follow the model of Jesus. And we're going to be like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. They're going to be right up here in the front on either side. And if there's anything that we can pray with you about, even if it's just a kickstart, a desire in your heart to pray, we would love to do that. We see God do so many incredible things every week in response to the prayers of his people. And, uh, and as you're leaving, there's one more thing I want to tell you. Next week, August 6th, we are going to do a sneak peek for you of the new series that we're going to be doing this fall, and it'll be unlike anything that we have ever done as a church before, yet it will be oh so familiar, and that's all I'm going to say about it. So be here next week to get a sneak peek for what we have coming up in the fall. Go drink some coffee, make some friends, enjoy the day, and we'll see you next week. God bless.